From the Beantown Athletic Studio in Boston, this is the Danny Picard Show, Monday, August 28, 2017. Today's show is presented by Beantown Athletics, your number one source for screen printing and embroidery. Go to BeantownAthletics.com right now to get a free quote for your customized apparel. Today's show is also presented by DraftKings. You can play for free at DraftKings.com by using my promo code PICK. That's P-I-C. And I was on the DraftKings app this morning and a little depressed knowing that I won't be able to pick Julian Edelman at all this season because he is out for the season with a torn ACL. And overall this weekend... Outside of the fight, I'll get to the fight, Mayweather-McGregor. Overall this weekend, with regards to Boston sports, this was a tough weekend. You had the Edelman injury on Friday night, out for the season. You had, or we have, the Cavaliers and Celtics trade that is now up in the air. I'll talk about that. And the Red Sox get swept by the Baltimore Orioles. And now the Red Sox have lost four straight, and they're only two and a half games ahead of the Yankees. So, a tough weekend here in Boston for the sports teams in this town. And um, I jump on here today, struggling a little bit, having a tough day because of all that. And Joey Trabuco, Beantown Athletics, he is in here with me in studio right now to cheer me up because he says he's got something for me. Joe, you got something written down on a piece of paper. What do you got? You have a new intro for me? Because I know that the intro's getting stale. We got a new NFL season. Maybe we need to freshen this thing up a little bit. I've been frustrated, as you know, with just, you know, I just feel like we need, I, I need, something new needs to happen. You have something new for us right now. I got now. something new for you, Danny. What do you got? Give, let, let's get it. How about, you want to give me the new intro? Give, give us a new intro right now. All right. Introduce the fucking this is show. Something... I don't even know if I'll <laughs> use the intro I just gave. So, do what you're going to do right now. Cheer me up. I need it. All right. So, I saw you struggling this morning a little bit. I wrote something down real quick. Get you through the day. Here we go. You ready? Let's do it. Here we go. Joey T with the new intro for the Danny Picard Show. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome to the one-man show. Here is your host, Danny Picard. I love it. There we go. That's it. My man. There, there it is. I think it worked. I think we just take that clip and we, unless you want it, you want another one? You want another try? Nope. That was real authentic. First shot. That first shot. You yeah. won and done. Clint Eastwood, one take. <laughs> <laughs> one and done. Joey T just gave us a new intro of the show. I Maybe you're not going to mention Beantown Athletics. You're wearing the fucking t-shirt. I am. You work at Beantown Athletics. You don't want to throw, you don't want to do another shot, maybe try to throw that in there. Maybe get it in, you know? All right, we can do that. All I, right, I let's see. do it. Let's try one more time. All right, here we go. Take right. two. Take two, but we're using them both. This is the show. Okay. We're doing the show. This right. is the podcast. Joey T, Let's intro, go. take number two. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome to the one-man show. Here is your host, live from the Beantown Athletic Studio here in Dorchester, Danny Picard. All right, there it is. Yeah, you got to go. It. That's it. I'm out. He's out. Joey T, nice job. Here's the new intro to the show. We might stick around after. Uh, I know you're not going. You're working anyway, so we'll, we'll get you to maybe maybe really record it in a professional forum where, you know, we shut the rest of the mics off and uh, maybe give you 
you know, some music in the background as well. We can, well, you know what? We'll mix in some music. We'll mix in some music. We'll do the, we'll, we'll do the music with it all. I, I don't know. It, it was a crazy weekend and, uh, I'm trying to pick up all the pieces. Like I said, as a Boston sports fan, this was a tough weekend and it began on Friday night with the Julian Edelman injury uh, out for the season. It torn ACL. The Patriots begin the season one week from this Thursday at home against the Kansas City Chiefs on Thursday, September 7th. And, uh, you know, one preseason game left this Thursday against the New York Giants at home. The dress rehearsal was the third game, though, the one on Friday night in Detroit. You're not going to see most of the starters on Thursday in the fourth and final preseason game. So it's just you get the dress rehearsal. You lose Edelman early in that game. And really, did anything else in that game matter? I know to me it didn't because all I was doing was I was on the phone. You know, I'm usually not on Twitter on Friday nights, but um, because the Ed- I saw the Edelman injury, I just I needed to get updated. I needed to be updated with people on Twitter, the NFL analysts, the experts, what they were saying. And, you know, it took until the next day to really officially have it, I think, right? I think it was Saturday. When we found out he had a torn ACL, whenever we found out, I think you knew when you watched it, it was not good. It was a non-contact injury. He was making a cut. I get it. You don't want to talk about it anymore. You don't want to even think about it. But with the NFL season beginning and the Patriots beginning one week from this Thursday, you know, we have to talk about what this team is going to look like without Edelman. Now, now, you know how I feel about the Patriots. They're going to win the division still. Um... As long as Tom Brady is healthy, this thing is going to keep rolling along. The Patriots are going to continue to have success. I told you 14-2. I told you they're going to have a 14-2 season again. 14 wins is is not crazy. People saying they were going to go undefeated before the Edelman injury, I just think that's an unrealistic expectation. Um, I I say 14-2. Now, with the Edelman injury... Am I leaning more towards possibly 13-3? and three? I, I don't think that's crazy. I don't. Because I do think, out of all the guys that we've seen injured for this Patriots team, and again, I'm going to put the quarterback aside. We know. At least I feel this way. If, if Brady is out, ever goes down for an extended period of time, then I think the team's in trouble. Big time. I, and, and, you know, people want to go back to when he hurt the knee and Matt Castle took over almost 10 years ago, and uh, they still won 11 games. Well, they didn't get into the playoffs, so it's not good enough. You got to get into the playoffs, and if you're the Patriots, what's the expectation now? Not just get into the tournament, but get to the AFC Championship. As long as Tom Brady is under center, the Patriots are going to get to the AFC Championship. I am confident with that, even with the Edelman injury. But when it comes to their regular season record, before they get to the AFC Championship... I don't think it's crazy to look at Edelman going down and think, well, the Patriots are going to maybe lose an extra game this season, right? They're going to lose an extra game. Julian Edelman is so important to this team. I think we're about to find out just how important he is. But, you know, I know. Look, this Patriots team's loaded. They acquired Brandon Cooks. I think people forget about that still. You, You know, you look at Chris Hogan. You look at Chris Hogan. He's somebody that this team is going to rely on. Danny Amendola, but he's also somebody that gets hurt. Uh, Gronk, if he can stay healthy. 
and all the weapons they have out of the backfield. And then you get into some of the youngsters too, like Malcolm Mitchell as a wideout. I mean, the Patriots are still a loaded offensive team without Julian Edelman. It's just, and you hear Tom Brady talk about it. Tom Brady today on this Monday, August 28th, uh, as usual, he joins Kirk and Callahan on WEEI here in Boston in the mornings, on Monday mornings. And he said that, he pointed out the trust factor. He trusts Julian Edelman. You know, being able to build that trust with a receiver like he has with Julian Edelman, it takes a while to develop. So he doesn't have that same trust with a Chris Hogan. He doesn't have that same trust with a Brandon Cooks. I think he has it with Gronk, but Julian Edelman was a guy that when you're watching a Patriots game and you're watching on TV and you're not necessarily able to see the play develop downfield as the ball snapped, you know, your TV screen only extends so far and you see Tom Brady drop back in the pocket, right? Or he's in shotgun and, he, and, and they get it to him. And you see Brady going through his progressions. You can't necessarily see all of the receivers running routes, but you know that Julian Edelman in a go-to, must-have spot is going to get open and that Brady's going to find him. That confidence that we have in the Patriots here in New England, week in and week out, sure, most of that is based on the fact that Tom Brady's the quarterback of his team. But I also think that over the last three or four years, we have looked at Julian Edelman as being the second most important player on this team. In those big spots, in those go-to moments, in those must-have situations where you're either moving the chains with a completion or you're punting if it's an incompletion. Why do we feel so confident in this Patriots team? It's because the offense is so good. Because Tom Brady's the quarterback. But also because Tom Brady, as the quarterback, in the huge spots, always seems to find the guy that he trusts the most, Julian Edelman. And without Edelman now, it's a different look. It's a different feel. It's a different situation of trust for the quarterback. We trust that the quarterback's going to be able to still get the job done, but I'm not so sure that week in and week out, we're going to be looking at this team feeling as confident as we did when Edelman was on the field, right? That's just the way I look at it. Now, that said, while I'm acknowledging just how big of a loss Edelman is, and I think it's a huge loss, that said, this team is still loaded. The Brandon Cooks acquisition, now even bigger for this team. The Hogan acquisition last year, even bigger for this team. Um, All of this stuff right now is what it comes down to, in my opinion, is the offensive line. It's the offensive line. Is the offensive line going to be able to give Tom Brady that extra second or two in the pocket. If he can, Brady's going to find someone new that he can trust. All right? Um, he's And he might develop that as the season goes on. But to me, now it comes down to the offensive line. As stacked as the Patriots offense still is with all his weapons, it's the offensive line. It's the offensive line. So um, we'll see how it plays out. My concern with the Edelman injury, as big as I think it is, as much as I think they're going to miss Edelman. All of that said, I'm not telling you that the sky is falling on the Patriots. I'm not telling you that the Patriots won't get to the AFC Championship game. I think they will. I think you can put them in there. And uh, I think that the Patriots, you know, I haven't given my my predictions yet. I'll give those. 
I'll give those next week. When will we do that? Want to do that Monday or Thursday? What, what day do you want to do it? We'll do it next week. My, my NFL season predictions, obviously, we'll do picks picks next Thursday, and I'm excited to get back into that. But, uh, you know, if you're asking me for an early look at the Patriots and, 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 their prediction, and the prediction that I have for them right now, I say this, this still in the AFC Championship, and you know what? I, I still think that they will have the best shot to win the Super Bowl. I do. So uh, it's a huge loss losing Julian Edelman. But if, this, if we know anything about the Patriots, if we know anything about Tom Brady and even Bill Belichick, they always find a way. They find a way. And you have to go, if you go to the defensive side, all right, they got issues at the linebacker spot. Um, they had brought in Coney Ely. He's gone. He, he got released. Now he's a member of the Jets. Ninkovich retired. Uh, you got some injuries there as well with some of the young kids. But I think when you look at the secondary that this team has, you know, this is an elite secondary. This secondary is as elite as you get in this league. So that's... That, that's a scary thing for other offenses, just looking at the Patriots' secondary. And uh, I, I think that sometimes we get so wrapped up in injuries and missing guys that and missing pieces that we sort of forget the players that, that they acquired in the secondary on the defensive side. And also, offensively, and I mentioned him, you know, Brandon Cooks. I, I do think it's somewhat easy to maybe forget that he's on the team right now. Uh, he will... Remind us that he's on the team when the regular season begins. I, the question I have with Cooks, and I'm speaking from a DFS standpoint right, right now with Cooks. When it comes to DraftKings and picking Cooks, you obviously used to pick him. Uh, you know, I, I know what, Michael Thomas came in there and did some damage with New Orleans as well, and maybe it made you hesitant on certain weeks to take Cooks. But Brandon Cooks, uh, one thing I don't know about him is is he somebody that's over the middle, playing tough, you know, moving the chains like that, like Edelman would? Or is he just a guy that's going to stretch the field and try to take the top off the defense with his speed, and you're just sending him downfield? As we know, he can beat <laughs> he can beat his uh, secondary with that speed. But when I think of Brandon Cooks, that's the guy I think of. I, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm wrong with that. We're going to find out. We're going to find out a lot more about Brandon Cooks uh, because there is no Julian Edelman. And ideally, Cooks would be a guy that takes that number one role and runs with it, right? And and look, I mean, look, again, the Patriots are loaded. They have all these weapons. I'm not telling you you should be concerned about what they're going to do this season. But certainly, maybe the way it looks at first might not look the same way it would have looked if Edelman was on the field with regards to how confident we feel that the offense is going to continually move those chains in a game. With Edelman on the field, there was that confidence that we all had that Brady was going to Edelman on a third and long situation, even a third and short, didn't matter. Edelman, first down, moved the chains, they were going to do it. And they were going to drive down the field and score. That, that We had that confidence in them. Maybe we're not as confident without Edelman, but I do believe that at the end of the day, the Patriots offense will find a way to get the job done. So you had that Friday night. That was awfully tough to see, awfully tough to watch. 
Um, we all just want the regular season to begin. We got to have one more preseason game. And then the Patriots will host the Chiefs a week from Thursday. Thursday, September 7th at home against Kansas City. Again, next week we'll do predictions, uh, season predictions. I'll give you picks, picks, back into the swing of things with the NFL season and college football this weekend as we get into Labor Day weekend. Uh, and, of course, that means we're into the final month. We'll get into the final month of the Major League Baseball season. That was another bad storyline here in Boston this weekend because the Red Sox got swept by Baltimore. I'm still not, and I said this yesterday on Sunday on my weekend radio show on WEEI, I'm not hitting the panic button on on anything. You know, I'm not. As, as much as I say it wasn't a great weekend in Boston for the sports teams here, I'm not hitting the panic button. Not hitting on the Patriots, and I'm not hitting on the Red Sox. I'm not. As bad as they've looked, offensively, and even some of the guys on their pitching staff, if you're telling me the Red Sox are going to struggle, they're going to get swept by the Orioles, they're going to lose four straight, which they have, dating back to the Cleveland series before the Orioles series, and you go into Toronto, and begin a three-game series tonight on this Monday, August 28th. If you're telling me they struggle coming into this series with Toronto, who's playing for nothing, by the way. The Blue Jays are playing for nothing. They're horrible. There's nothing to play for. But if you tell me the Red Sox struggle coming into this series, I'll tell you, all right, give me, if, you're, if you tell me the Red Sox can throw out their best two pitches to begin the Toronto series, they will be okay, even with a struggle in offense. And you know what? That's what the Red Sox do. Drew Pomeranz tonight, and then Chris Sale tomorrow night on Tuesday. And so the Red Sox could very easily, even with a struggle in offense, win these next two games. And then what will people be saying? Right? Because after these three in Toronto, you then go to the Bronx to begin a four-game series with the Yankees on Thursday. And that might be the biggest series of the season. It might be. The month of September for the Red Sox is a lot easier than the month of August. In the month of August, you had two separate series against the Yankees, and you also had two separate series against the Indians. That's four series against two of the better teams that you're battling with in the American League. That's not an easy month. This month coming up, the Red Sox are playing Oakland. They're playing Cincinnati. They have Toronto a couple times. And they close it out against Houston, which, again, is the top team in the American League right now. But Houston might have already clinched everything by the time they get to that final series of the regular season. So you might be playing, you know, some easy ball games there, too. September is a lot easier for the Red Sox than August was. So that's another reason why I'm not hitting the panic button on, on the Sox. Their best two pitches to go in the next two nights. I just got to believe that the offense, if they can get Dustin Pedroia back, which they're saying they will, is going to be an improved offense than you've seen the last couple games and that you saw in this series against the Orioles. And uh, I I think the Red Sox are still going to get into the postseason. It's just the Yankees are two and a half games behind them right now. It's a lot closer race, but that's why this series coming up next weekend against the Yankees, Labor Day weekend, uh, beginning on Thursday in the Bronx, That's why that series is the biggest series of the year. So I'm not hitting the panic button on the Patriots. I'm not hitting the panic button on the Red Sox. And when it comes to the Celtics and the Cavaliers, this is a crazy story from this weekend as well that doesn't really make a lot of people in Boston feel good. At least it doesn't make me feel good. 
the fact that Friday night, after we heard about or saw Julian Edelman's injury, we heard that the Celtics and the Cavaliers and their trade that sent Isaiah Thomas, Jay Crowder, Ante Zizic, and the 2018 Brooklyn pick to Cleveland in exchange for Kyrie Irving coming to the Celtics, the report Friday night was that trade was up in the air because the Cleveland Cavaliers, they looked at Isaiah Thomas's hip and they said, you know what? We understand. We understood about the hip injury. You know, we, we listened to you. You told us about it. Now that we're seeing it with our own exams, we don't like what we see. And because of that, we're not sure we want to make this trade anymore. That That's what was reported on Friday night. Now, the last couple of days, we've had similar reports. However, yesterday on Sunday and even this morning on Monday morning, there were reports coming out of Cleveland that the Cavaliers were going to ask the Celtics for a little more. They wanted more than that because of Isaiah Thomas's hip injury. And, and them seeing something with that that they didn't like more than what they didn't like when they were being told about it by the Celtics when they actually agreed to this trade. So a lot of panic. What I sense is that it would be a nightmare to, to, to basically cancel this trade and have to keep Isaiah unhappy, have to keep Jay Crowder unhappy. And from a Cleveland perspective, too, I would say a nightmare having to keep Kyrie Irving unhappy. He obviously doesn't want to be in Cleveland. That's why they're trading him. But I think if you look a little bit deeper as to why Cleveland is trading Kyrie Irving and why they agreed to this trade with the Celtics in the first place, if you look a little bit deeper into that, what you'll see is, and this is what I tweeted last night, what you'll see is this is a Cleveland Cavaliers team that there is no way they cancel this trade. Even if the Celtics don't give them anything else, there's no way Cleveland cancels this trade. Why is Cleveland doing this deal in the first place? Because they know that Kyrie Irving wants out. Why does Kyrie Irving want out? Because he knows that LeBron James is leaving next summer to go to the West Coast to go to L.A., to go to another team. LeBron's gone. It's not just that Kyrie knows that. The Cavaliers know that. So the Cavaliers are looking at it saying, well, if we're going to lose LeBron next year and Kyrie wants to trade, we might as well take Kyrie and get something for him, right? Well, I think Isaiah Thomas and Jay Crowder were a bonus onto what I told you last week was the number one thing in this trade for the Cavaliers. The 2018 Brooklyn pick. That, I don't care what the experts tell you. They're, they're going to tell you that Brooklyn's an improved team. The Nets, well, they're not going to be bottom of the barrel in the NBA this year. They're going to be a little better. So that pick might not be a top three pick. Might not even be a top five pick. Bullshit. Bullshit. The Brooklyn Nets suck, and you know it. And the Cavaliers know it. And the fact that they could have a draft pick for Kyrie Irving that could possibly be number one overall in a year in which you traded Irving, but now you're going to lose LeBron next year. What's what's the best thing that you could possibly acquire? A potential number one overall pick. That, to me, is just too big for the Cavaliers and too important for the Cavaliers to pass on. And I know the reports right now that the Cavaliers are asking for the Celtics to give them another trade asset. Well, if I'm the Celtics... You need to know everything I just said. 
And you cannot give Cleveland anything else. I'm sorry. You have to call their bluff. You have to say, what are you going to do? You're going to not make this trade? Now, again, if they if the trade fell through and it didn't happen, I do believe that would be an absolute nightmare. Okay? It would be a nightmare. But if you're the Celtics, you got to call their bluff. You do. You have to call their bluff. You have to call the Cavaliers bluff and basically say to them, hey, if you don't want to make this trade and you want to cancel this trade, that means you're passing up on the 2018 Brooklyn pick, which could be number one overall, which means that Kyrie Irving's going to be unhappy. You lose LeBron James, and then what do you have? Kyrie Irving's not going to re-sign with Cleveland when his contract is up in a couple years. So what are you going to do? You might as well get something special for him now. And as much as you might think Isaiah Thomas and Jay Crowder can slide in and help you guys win a championship this year and LeBron's last year in Cleveland, which is true, you might be able to do that still. As, as, as good as that looks, what's the most important part to this trade for you, Cleveland? It's the Brooklyn pick. There's no question about it. Because they can say all they want that they want to sign Isaiah Thomas. Isaiah Thomas doesn't want to sign in Cleveland, right? So Isaiah Thomas is a choice there too. And, you know, I just think that this is a deal the Cavaliers have to make. I know they're playing this, they're taking this stance that they want more. That they, you know, the Celtics maybe didn't tell them everything about Isaiah Thomas's hip. I don't know if the Celtics did or didn't. I don't know what they told them. I'm sure they told them something. I'm sure the Cavaliers knew about it. Um, they agreed to it. I think what they're doing now is they probably did find something that they didn't like. They probably looked at it and said, eh, it's worse than we thought. And they're just using that now as leverage to try to get something extra from the Celtics. But if you're the Celtics, you shouldn't give the Cavaliers shit. You, I mean, I mean, more than what you already agreed to. You shouldn't give them anything else. Because if the Cavaliers are going to end up canceling this trade and walking away from it, that's just downright stupid. I don't think they're that dumb. I don't think they're stupid enough to walk away from this. So because of that, the Celtics should call their bluff, and they shouldn't give them anything else. They should, they should say, listen, this is the trade you agreed to. We told you Isaiah Thomas was banged up. Why else do you think we'd be making this fucking trade? Okay? You knew that. Do you, do you, are you seeing that maybe it's a little worse than, than what you first believed what, after what we told you? Hey, you know what? We, that's why we threw the Brooklyn pick in. That's why we threw Jay Crowder and his great contract in. That's why we did this stuff. Because we told you Isaiah Thomas was banged up. Why do you think you're getting these other assets? Consider those things the other assets. The Celtics cannot give them anything else. And I think even if they didn't give Cleveland anything else, this trade would still go through. It would still happen. It's going to happen. Cleveland cannot afford to let this thing fall through. They can't. Cavaliers can't. So Friday night, you get a little worried when you hear that. But when you really think about it, you get a weekend to, to take it all in. I just think that uh, the Cavaliers right now, they're, just, they're getting sneaky. They're, they're being really sneaky right now. And if you're the Celtics, you cannot succumb to the pressures of Cleveland's sneakiness. You can't do it. They shouldn't do it. I hope they don't do it because they will still make this trade. The Cavaliers will still make this trade if the Celtics say, fuck you, the package, the package that we gave you, that's what it is. 
That's what it's going to stay. Take it or leave it. I think the Cavaliers will still take it at the end of the day. They're just trying to be sneaky right now. Don't let them win. Don't let them think they have leverage. And and you know what? The rest of the league would love the Celtics to, to hold their ground and to say, fuck you, Cleveland. We're not giving you anything else. Because imagine if you're the rest of the league and this stuff happens where players are traded, then a team looks at, the, you know, it's agreed to in principle, then a team actually, you know, looks at the physical and they say, eh, we want a little more. You know how many teams would be trying to do this? If the, if, you know, I just, the rest of the league would love for the Celtics to not give up anything else. So the Celtics can't do it. But even if you're not thinking about other teams and what they think, just for the Celtics' sake, if you're Danny Ainge, you gotta know. You gotta believe that Cleveland is still gonna make this trade, even if you don't give them anything else. So I think it's still gonna happen. Kyrie Irving's gonna be a member of the Celtics. Isaiah Thomas is going to be a member of the Cavaliers. Jay Crowder and Ante Zizic will be members of the Cavaliers. And the Cavaliers will get what is the prize possession for them in this trade at the end of the day, the 2018 Brooklyn pick. So, some concern over the weekend. When you really take it all in and think about it, I do believe this trade will still go through, even if the Celtics don't give up anything else. So, uh, that's what we had here locally, worldwide. The story was the fight. Floyd Mayweather versus Conor McGregor. Did you watch it? I know I did. Did you pay the money? I know I did. 100 bucks to get a fight that, let's be honest, I I think this was so intriguing because we can make all the predictions that we want. Nobody really knew what the fuck was going to happen in this fight. Right? Nobody knew. Conor McGregor is coming from the UFC. Uh, he is a, he's going to go down as a UFC legend, Conor McGregor. And you had Floyd Mayweather, 49 and all, had, has never lost a fight. Going for a 50 and all record. So much money on the line. The promotion for this fight was silly. It was so over the top. It was just insane. Some of the things that were said by both sides. I mean, look, this was a circus. It was. But the main event of the circus, we had no idea what was going to happen. We had no clue. We can make all the predictions that we want. We had no idea what was going to go down. And when they stepped into the ring on Saturday night in Las Vegas, when they stepped into the ring Saturday night in Las Vegas, The end result was Floyd Mayweather wins the fight in the 10th round by way of TKO. The ref jumped in and stopped the fight. Mayweather was going to knock McGregor out. He was hitting him with punches. And really, the story of the fight was fatigue. That's what it was. It was fatigue. Conor McGregor. And I told you this. I told you this since the first day that they announced this fight. I said Floyd Mayweather is known for going deep into fights, right? He's known for going deep into fights. Conor McGregor in the UFC does not, you know, when he does go deep, it's only, what, five rounds. But most of his fights are ended early too. So McGregor never goes, the, you know, never fights as long as Floyd Mayweather. So when it comes to energy and fatigue, I told you going in, if Floyd Mayweather can extend this thing into the 6th, 7th, 8th round, Conor McGregor is going to be toast. And that's exactly what he was. I thought Conor McGregor was 
was done a lot earlier than maybe the announcing team thought. I thought McGregor, and by the way, credit where credit's due, Conor McGregor earned a lot of respect from the boxing world in that fight. He did. But let's be fair. With regards to Mayweather's strategy, his strategy looked as if, you know, he knew that this thing needed to be extended. And Mayweather knew that McGregor was going to be toast in the 6th, 7th, 8th round. He knew that. And I think that was his goal. And when he got there, I mean, it was obvious. He knew. He saw the green light. And I think he saw the green light starting around, you know, round three or round four. McGregor was getting a little light. You know, he, he, was, he was getting a little lightheaded, it looked like. You could tell. I could tell in round four. But McGregor, earning the respect, I think he won the first couple rounds, first two rounds. But that said, as it went on, McGregor was toast. Fatigue kicked in. He just didn't have it. And Mayweather was going to knock him out. The ref stopped the fight. And, in fact, McGregor makes it sound like he was upset that the ref stopped the fight. He was saying, that, you know, the ref should have you know, let him beat him, let him knock him to the mat. I think Mayweather should be upset. Because Mayweather was going to put him to the canvas. And what the ref did was he saved Conor McGregor the embarrassment of all of us having that video image or that... You know, that video footage or that image of McGregor being knocked out cold. The ref saved McGregor from that embarrassment. If I'm Mayweather, I'm going, why'd you got to stop the fight? You knew I was going to knock this fucking dude out. Let me knock him out. Let me make that statement. I would have been kind of pissed if I were Mayweather. McGregor, was he using it as an excuse after him? Or was he using it to, to already begin the buildup? For a rematch. I'll, I'll get into that. I'll, I'll get into my thoughts on a potential rematch. But first and foremost, looking at the fight Saturday night, I told you that it was possible Mayweather knocks him out because McGregor would be fatigued. I told you Mayweather, my, my ultimate prediction was Mayweather would win in a decision that McGregor and Dana White would find somewhat controversial. Didn't necessarily play out like that. This was not controversial, though Conor McGregor did say some things about the ref stopping the fight too early. But again, I told you, I just told you, did the ref stop the fight a little too early? Yeah, I guess. But we all knew what was going to happen at that point. McGregor was done, and we knew that he was going to get knocked out. He was going to get knocked out right there in that moment. So, if anything, the ref just prevented the embarrassment from McGregor of actually getting knocked out. But Mayweather won the fight. I think it was, uh, it was a fair fight. It was an exciting fight. I think it was a good night for the fight game. And you got a couple guys getting extremely rich off it at the same time. Because they both got extremely rich off it, they can say whatever they want in the aftermath about Mayweather saying he's retired at 50 and all. Dana White saying McGregor's going to go back to UFC. McGregor even hinted in one of his post-fight press conferences that he's got two titles to defend in UFC. All right, that's all fine. It's all well and good. But guess what? When you look at the type of money that these two made. When you look at the fact that McGregor didn't get his ass kicked in the first four or five rounds, and that this was actually a fight, I mean, McGregor landed. McGregor was landed some punches. He was landing punches early. He landed that uppercut. I mean, look, McGregor did a lot better than I thought he was going to do in the early rounds. He did. I think he did a lot better than a lot of people thought he was going to do in the early rounds. But, um... The fact that he didn't get his ass kicked in the first couple of rounds 
I think that plays into the interest in a rematch. And I do think there would be enough interest there where these guys would make enough money where they would at least think about it. They have to think about it. Are you kidding me? A rematch? I don't know. Maybe you throw McGregor in there with somebody who is not Floyd Mayweather and you you get him some reps in the ring and, you know, you build the stamina a little bit. I don't know. But let me ask you this. If they told you they were having a rematch based on McGregor's performance, based on the fact that he didn't get his ass kicked in the first four or five rounds, held his own, not just held his own, but even won a couple rounds against Floyd Mayweather in his boxing debut, in McGregor's boxing debut. Seeing that, knowing that, you mean to tell me you wouldn't be interested in a rematch? I would be. I'd watch it. I'd pay again. I'd put it up. And so would everybody else. You can laugh at the idea of a rematch all you want. But here's who won't be laughing at the idea of a rematch. Conor McGregor and Floyd Mayweather. You know why? Because there is just too much money to pass up. And and one thing that I've learned about these guys, both Mayweather and McGregor, over the years, is that they care more about the money game than the fight game. They do. They care more about the money game than the fight game. And if you're telling me there's still money to be made, which there is, I think they would be crazy to, to go separate ways right now. They'd be crazy to do that. Now, it would be a little bit more of a risk for McGregor to have some type of other fight to build his stamina in between. Because what happens if he gets caught with one? He loses, right? What if, if he loses to some schmuck in the ring? Who's the guy he was training with? Malignani or whatever his fucking name is. I don't even know how to, whoever. He was the, one of the color commentators to the fight. He was terrible. He needs to, he doesn't, I can't even hear what he's saying or understand what he's saying. They would, there was a thing that said that, oh, maybe McGregor would fight him in the ring. But what happens if the guy catches McGregor with one? I just think the risk is too much. Don't even do that. If you're going to have a rematch, have it right. Don't have any other fights. Get right to it. We'll see you in March in Las Vegas. You want to extend it? Say, we'll do it next summer? Do it next summer. There's a lot of money to be had there for a rematch. There is. There is. And I think there's too much money to be had for them to pass it up. I think they'd be foolish to run away from that. I do. I mean, you know, it's entertainment. We were entertained Saturday night. Were we not? If you were not entertained Saturday night, then I don't know what you do to find entertainment. But to me, that was entertaining. It was exciting, it was intriguing, and McGregor provided enough for me to be excited and intrigued about a rematch. I'd watch, I'd pay, I'd be interested, I'd be intrigued, and a lot of other people would too. And because a lot of other people would too, I'm telling you right now, this is my opinion, there will be a rematch. They will fight again. These two guys will fight again. They will. And it might be the same result. I have no idea. But they'll do it again, and they'll make more money. All right? And maybe, just maybe, that's the one where maybe McGregor does catch him with one early if Mayweather's a year older. And maybe then you see a trilogy, and there's even more money made. I'm just telling you right now, don't laugh at the idea of a rematch with Mayweather McGregor. Don't laugh at it. I don't care what they say right now. I don't care what Dana White says. I don't care what 
Mayweather, what McGregor says, I don't care what they say. Here's what I know. Here's what I know they think. What I know they want is more money. And if there's more money to be had here, and there is, they'll have a rematch. There's going to be a rematch. I'm telling you right now. The fact that McGregor was talking about the ref jumping in too early, it sounds sort of like an excuse. Um, that's what That's what they'll use to build it. Hey, you didn't knock me out. There's no video of you putting me down to the canvas. I didn't touch the floor once, right? You didn't knock me out. There's no video or picture of that. The ref stepped in and saved you. For all you know, I was going to, you know, I was going to grab you. I was going to hold you. I was going to stand my ground for the next couple rounds, get some energy back, and then knock you out in the 11th or the 12th round, right? Maybe that's that's how they'll build it, and they will. They can do it. They can do it. People will buy in. I will buy in. I will watch again. There will be a rematch. That's my prediction. That's my opinion. But I'm sticking to it. There will be a rematch. Um, that said, it was an entertaining fight. If you're a boxing fan or a fight fan, Canelo versus Triple G on September 16th. What's that in three weeks? little less than three weeks, three weeks away. That's the fight you want to watch. That is the fight. The two boxes in the middleweight class that we have wanted to clash for a long time. Golovkin has not been ducking Canelo. Canelo's been ducking Golovkin. Maybe waiting for Golovkin to get a little, little older, a little slower. I tell you what, Golovkin might be a little older and maybe a tiny bit slower right now. That said, he's still a beast. I think Golovkin's the pound, the best pound for pound. I think he's number one pound for pound, best, best boxer in the world. Canelo's close, but this is the fight that I, I'm really clamoring to see. So uh, that's September 16th. I can't wait for that. I'll give my prediction for that as we get closer. But uh, overall, on the weekend, with regards to the fight, I was very entertained. I was very pleased with what I saw. I like the result because if you listen to me, you know I'm not the biggest McGregor fan. I see people going, how can you not like McGregor? I don't know. The guy doesn't ever shut the fuck up. That's how I don't like McGregor. And I'm not even telling you I like Mayweather. But I just, I just, McGregor, it's just too much. It's just too much. It's too much. You know, the shit talking, the, it's just way too much. And, um, I was, I was pleased with the result because of that. Of the fight. But McGregor, no doubt, tip your cap. He got in there first time in the ring, and it didn't look like his first time. And I think at first, when it didn't look like his first time, and he was much bigger than him, he seemed composed, he seemed like he looked like a nut, he had a strategy, he connected with a couple big punches, he connected with that big uppercut. Even myself, I thought in those moments, I said, "Uh uh-oh. If he can connect with one early, we got something here. However, it was always in the back of my mind, and I always told you on this show since the first day they announced this fight, if this thing gets into the 6th, 7th, 8th round, McGregor's going to be toast because he's not used to fighting this long. And Mayweather, he's used to it. And that's what you could see the knockout. And it did. It happened. TKO, ref jumped in, and uh, Mayweather is 50-0. and and I guess my post-fight prediction is that we see this fight in a, in a rematch version. Mayweather-McGregor 2. 
I'm telling you right now, it's going to happen. It's not going to happen in an in an octagon, okay? Mayweather is never going to an octagon. Anybody who's thinking of that, stop it. You're being ridiculous. Floyd Mayweather, when you're 50 and all in the boxing ring and you can make that much money boxing, why in the fucking world would you ever step foot in the octagon at, what is he, 40? I mean, please, that's not going to happen. If it's going to happen again, it'll happen in the boxing ring. And I think McGregor will do it. Dana White, he might not want him to do it. I can understand that. McGregor does have two UFC titles, and he does have to defend them. McGregor even acknowledged that. But, you know, when you get to talking about it, and you start talking about all that money again, I'm telling you right now, people can change their mind. And money will change the minds of McGregor, Mayweather, and even at the end of the day, Dana White. Because at the end of the day, it's all about money. And at the end of the day, these guys, that's all they care about is money. So there will be a rematch. And when they announce it, I'll be here on this show in the Beantown Athletic Studio saying, I told you so. Get this show whenever you want at dannypicard.com. Also on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn, anywhere podcasts are available. Follow me on Twitter, Facebook, you name it, all forms of social media. Uh, Enjoy the rest of your week. You know, I think we'll probably have some more football news as we get closer to week one. Patriots play their final preseason game on Thursday night. We'll talk a little bit more about that on Thursday's podcast, and I will react to what we see in this Red Sox series with the Toronto Blue Jays and, of course, anything else that breaks in the world of sports, including the Celtics-Cavaliers trade that, you know, I guess as I record this is up in the air. Whatever happens with that, I'll react to that as well. I'm out. Talk to you on Thursday. Thursday.